Hi there, this is Taylor checking in with some conservation news from the past couple weeks for Pelicanus and Intentional Ecology. Working in the environmental field is an experience of some very high highs and some low lows. As always, there are horrendous environmental stories that deserve our attention, action, and mobilization, but it is our opinion that you can find those headlines in many places. But there are also empowering and inspiring stories that demonstrate major conservation successes from around the globe, achieved by real people who have grouped together to create a better planet. We've been collecting these stories and messages every week for years, and I'm still surprised at how resilient and creative both nature and humans are when facing big challenges. Hi everyone, we've got a handful of headlines for today's Pelicanus News. I've categorized them into people, drawdown, and rewilding. These stories are truly incredible and also reminders to me that conservation can actually work. All right, the first category has one headline here. This one's out of mongabay.com. Razan al-Mubarak becomes the first woman from the Arab world to head the IUCN. Razan al-Mubarak was elected the president of the International Union for Conservation of Nature, the IUCN, one of the world's largest and best-known conservation institutions. Ms. al-Mubarak is the first woman from the Arab world to head the IUCN and only the second woman to lead the 73-year-old conservation organization. Ms. al-Mubarak was elected during the IUCN's recent World Conservation Congress. The IUCN is a membership organization composed of 1,400 government bodies and NGOs. The group is perhaps best known for its red list of threatened species, which helps set conservation priorities worldwide. Congratulations to Ms. Al-Mubarak. Second category here is the drawdown category, and I actually had a ton of headlines in here um, and had to get it down to just a couple. There is some great news um, here. First one is out of mongabay.com as well. Uh, From a nuisance to a benefit, world's worst weed finds new use as a biofuel. A startup in Western Kenya has developed a process of making bioethanol from water hyacinths, addressing both the need for a clean fuel alternative to charcoal and fuel wood and the spread of the invasive, invasive hyacinth. Proponents say a key advantage of this second generation bioethanol over traditional feedstock, such as sugarcane and corn, is that it avoids competition for limited agricultural land. But although this new bioethanol relies on a plentiful feedstock and is cheaper to produce than charcoal, it's still more expensive for end users because of limited distribution and the need to buy a compatible stove. Proponents say they're determined to scale up production and distribution though, pointing out that they're turning something harmful into something beneficial. The next one is from Reuters.com. Toyota plans $13.5 billion investment to develop electric vehicle battery tech by 2030. Toyota Motor Corp said it expected to spend more than $13.5 billion by 2030 to develop batteries and its battery supply system in a bid to take a lead in the key automotive technology over the next decade. The world's largest automaker by volume, which pioneered hybrid gasoline electric vehicles with a popular Prius, is moving rapidly to deliver its all-electric lineup next year. 
Considered a leader in developing batteries for electric vehicles, Toyota said it aimed to slash the cost of its batteries by 30% or more by working on the materials used and the way the cells are structured. Then, for the vehicle, we aim to improve power consumption, which is an indicator of the amount of electricity used per kilometer by 30%, starting with the Toyota BZ4X. Chief Technology Officer Masahiko Maeda told a briefing referring to the upcoming compact SUV model. The next headline is from grist.org. I'm really excited about this. The largest carbon removal facility to date is now in service. The world's largest plant capable of sucking carbon dioxide out of the air and stashing it securely underground has officially been switched on. About half an hour outside of uh, Reykjavik, Iceland, nestled between green rolling hills, sits an array of eight rectangular steel boxes arranged in a U shape. Each box, about the size of a shipping container, holds fans and filters that pull in air and trap carbon dioxide molecules. Heat piped into the boxes releases the CO2 from the filters, after which it is combined with water and pumped deep underground. There, the CO2 that was once helping to warm the atmosphere reacts with basalt rock and will turn into stone over the course of two years. This network of boxes, fans, and pipes is called ORCA, and it is the partnership between Climeworks, a company that designs and operates direct air capture machines, and CarbFix, a company that turns CO2 into stone. ORCA has, been, uh, has begun removing carbon dioxide from the atmosphere for anyone willing to pay the price. Uh, Reuters.com has the next one, uh, Harvard, in, uh, Harvard University to end investment in fossil fuels. Harvard University is ending its investment in fossil fuels, the school's president said, drawing praise from divestment activists who have long pressed the leading university to exit such holdings. In a letter posted on Harvard's website, President Lawrence Bacow said the school's endowment had no direct investments in fossil fuel exploration or development companies as of June and will not make such investments in the future given the need to decarbonize the economy. The university's indirect investments in the fossil fuel industry are in runoff mode, he added. The indirect investments made through private equity funds make up less than 2% of the endowment. Recently valued at about $42 billion, the most of any university, the school's endowment has been under pressure for years from students, alumni, and other activists to sell off its fossil fuel holdings as a way to slow climate change. Okay, the last category of rewilding, the first article here is from pacificlongborder.com. Uh, these popular tuna species are no longer endangered, surprising scientists. Two bluefin species, a yellowfin and an albacore, are no longer critically endangered or have moved off of the leading international list of endangered species entirely. The unexpectedly fast recovery speaks to the success of efforts over the past decade to end overfishing. I think the good news is that sustainable fisheries are possible, said Beth Polidoro, a marine biologist at Arizona State University. We can eat fish sustainably and without depleting the population to the point where it is on the road to collapse or extinction. At the same time, she warned, that the changes in status should not be an incentive to lift quotas and catch as many fish as we want. We need to keep doing what's working, Polidoro says. Out of abcnews.go.com, 
The snail darter, a tiny and notorious fish, is no longer endangered. The snail darter, a tiny fish that notoriously blocked a federal dam project in Tennessee decades ago, should no longer be on the endangered species list, federal officials announced. Arguing that the fish is no longer in danger of extinction, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has begun the process to delist the species, a move backed by the Center for Biological Diversity, an environmental group that has favored lifting protections for the fish since 2019. Thanks to the persistence of many people, the extinction of the snail darter was ultimately avoided, and today we can celebrate its recovery, said Zygmunt Platter, the attorney who wrote the citizen's petition to save the snail darter back in 1975. Snail darters, a member of the perch family, grow up to three and a half inches long and mostly eat freshwater snails. The darter was first listed as a federally endangered species in 1975, but later moved to threatened in 1984, meaning the species still faced a danger of extinction in the foreseeable future. The fish garnered national attention shortly after the passage of the landmark 1973 Endangered Species Act. It was one of those species responsible for the passage of the act. The law made it illegal to harass, harm, pursue, hunt, shoot, wound, kill, trap, capture, or collect endangered animals and forbid the elimination of their habitats. It led to many legal battles, but the struggle over the lowly darter became one of the most notable. I hope these stories bring some optimism and lightness to your month, and I look forward to sharing more in the future. Thanks.